there's an intelligence that we'll never understand. We don't have the capacity to understand. We can try to get there, right, with how we talk about the engagement, the environment and the leaf in a plant and how I can make a baby and all that stuff, right? But to me, it's it's more of understanding that there there is an intelligence in everything and you have to constantly bow down to that, to understand that that is so wise that it it knows sometimes more than you do. Greetings in love, beautiful humans. It's Ben Hardy, co-host of the Terrain Theory Podcast. This week, my co-host Mike and I welcome Dr. Maritzel Arce onto the show. Dr. Mari is a naturopathic medical doctor who has been applying the terrain model to her work with patients with great success. She is a student of and adherent to the microzyma and pleomorphism, two words you may have heard us talk about in a past episode with Dr. Andy Kaufman. We get deeper into the microzyma with Dr. Mari, exploring the relationship between these tiny bodies or small ferments, as Bechamp called them, and our DNA, and their role in not just our health, but all of life. We also talk about raising children within the terrain model. That's Dr. Mari's newborn cooing in the background, our first baby on the show. Some of the incredible healing stories coming out of her practice and the one food she swears by. Ready to tend to your terrain? Welcome back to Terrain Theory. Okay, we are live. Dr. Maritzel Arce, welcome to the Terrain Theory Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. We want to know a little bit about you and your work. Okay, so I actually am a naturopathic doctor, although I practice as a naturopath. And there's a distinction because naturopaths were the first things that were essentially created back in the late 1800s. Um, I actually went to med school for a little while because since I was very little, as cliche as it sounds, I wanted to be a doctor. I was the little kid that carried around band-aids and bandages. And if you had a problem, I'd make a potion for you. You know, so I was really big into helping people, healing people, things like that. And I always thought, you know, you're brought up in an environment where it's like the doctor was the the end all be all of medicine, right? And lo and behold, as you get older, you're going, well, not really, but that's what I wanted to do. So I wound up, you know, driving myself through all my schooling, geared myself towards going to med school. Um, and I was disheartened by the way regular med school was. So I wound up finding naturopathic medical school and I went through there. Um, I can't say it was that much different in the way it's structured than regular med school. Um, so I had to find my own voice, find my own uniqueness in naturopathic school. So I did a lot of outside studying. I read a lot of books outside of school. Um, I did a lot of seminars, you know, various places in the United States to go to. Um, and I was actually drawn to um, a lot of unique ways of practicing, um, which I later found out was way that naturopaths, um, practiced. Um, but I do have to attribute a lot of my, my science, scientific knowledge to going to to the medical school, to the naturopathic medical school, because it, it really dug into, you know, I got to see the side of anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, like real deep into that, where, you know, the more a traditional naturopath doesn't dive that deep into it currently. Um, 
And then I was uh, uh, in school um, again. Naturopathic school was again very medically oriented, germ theory oriented, which I'm not a subscriber to. Um, I never really felt that the whole you know manifestation of disease, even though naturopathic school is telling you the root and cause, root and cause. That's their 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 foundation. But to me, you know, when we looked at, let's say for, you know, uh, uh, as simple as it is, a strep, strep throat infection, you know, you're in naturopathic school going, the root cause is a, a, strep, a streptococcus. And I'm going, saying they go, okay, if streptococcus is the root cause, then how are we different than regular med school, right? So to me, it was more like I needed to go a little deeper than that. And um, it happened to be that I also became a rep to a, a European biological company called Pleomorphic Sanum. It was, it's called Pleosanum here in the United States, and it was called Sanum Cal in uh, Europe, uh, particularly Germany and Switzerland. So I was like, wow, this was, this was an amazing company. You know, I, I learned about Enderline, and I happened to fall upon another book called Politics and Healing, which they talked about also, um, I think, Gaston Nessane. So it was like, it just, it was like, at the moment, I have very synchronistic times in my life where everything just floods me with a particular topic. And it was, it was the sign for me to be like, this is, this is where I want to go to. This is how I will be practicing. Um, and so I became an advocate for the company, meaning I was hired by them and I was called a medical liaison where I taught students and doctors and nurses, um, you know, how to use the products from this company, which again was the basis of, you know, not the germ theory. It was more of understanding pleomorphism and that your body's environment is what changes these endogenous and exogenous, uh, microorganisms, super microorganisms called microzymas, Bashamp's words, um, and to me, that was it. That was, that was how I was like, wow, this is it. This is the basis. This is, this is the foundation of health, you know, nutrition, toxins, getting those microzymas to work, you know, in the way they should be and not making them angry <laughs> to clean up all the mess that they make, that we make actually not, they make, they, they don't make any messes. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it was, it, it that's where I came from and it, it was just, Throughout the years of practicing, I graduated in 2007 from the naturopathic school. I established my practice. I incorporated um, different things. Um, I really liked um, applied kinesiology that was made by George Goodhart. So I became certified in that. Um, I used the acoustic cardiograph, uh, which is was designed by Royal Lee from the company of Standard Process. I really liked that because it was all about really understanding the dynamics of the heart, of the heart, of the body, of using the heart. Um, because I, it, there was one saying that he had that really struck through true to me was that the body's a watch, you know, like there's all these different parts and you can't pinpoint one part that's more important than the other. They're all working together. Right. So to me, that was a really, that struck true to me because the idea that we have specialization in medicine and, and you have a problem in one location doesn't mean all the other locations in the body are not being affected or affecting it. So I, I really like that machine because people got to see how, you know, tied together all the different, like, you know, they come in and they have a thyroid problem. It's not just your thyroid, just because the medical doctor says it's a thyroid. It's so many different things that can be playing off of or that the thyroid is contributing to it not, may not even be the starting point of the problem, you know? So, 
Um, and then I also use a, a regulation thermography, um, which is different than the digital thermography. Again, something that really shows people the holism of the body. And then I have a dark field. Well, I have a, a compound microscope, but I use, predominantly use it as a dark field microscope or, um, or the contrast, um, you know, to see people, to have people engage with, again, what's going on in their body. All these different equipment, though, as I know it and as I, I've learned to come to know, is that there's still, you take it with a grain of salt because I, as, as I said at the end of COVID in one of my um, modules that I did, you'll never really know exactly how the body works because there's so many different things happening, you know, that we, science can't measure, our eyes can't measure, our hands, you know, all our five senses can't measure. And so I always tell people, you can look at these things, but at the end of the day, you, they can change in an instant, you know, like you can drink a glass of water and things will, dynamics will change. You could take deep breaths and meditate. Things will change, you know, even looking at the microscope, this is, this is not a true format of exactly what's going on in the body because we're taking that blood out and it's being changed by the air and by the slide and things like that. So I never hold a hundred percent truth from any of the things I do. It's essentially how I practice is, um, what the person tells me, you know, what their body's telling me when they come in, you know, what, you know, all the different aspects of what my eyes can see and feel and touch. And even, you know, what my intuition tells me things like that. So that's, that's what I do. And, um, I love what I do and, um, I read books and endless, endless books, uh, about it. Um, I am actually a collector of antiquarian material. So I have, <laughs> To my husband's dismay, a stack, 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 uh, here and there, and then bookshelves of <laughs> books that are, you know, written older than 1800s, you know, <laughs> mid 1800s, you know, anything that I can grab onto that has not been adulterated by pharmaceutical mentality or germ theory mentality, um, you know. I really like to see what the the thoughts were and, and the beliefs were, and you know the aspects of medicine in not only in, you know, um, the North American culture, but I, um, like anything that comes from anywhere because my background is anthropology. So, um, I, uh, I have a bachelor's in anthropology and cultural, um, and social anthropology with a concentration of medicinal and nutritional anthropology. So to me, the way people, every culture sees medicine and food and their bodies is really, really um, interesting to me because it gives me again, a more, a, a bigger, it, it just keeps broadening my scope of understanding, you know, and that helps me with patients from all avenues, you know, different, different issues, different ethnicities, different cultures, different beliefs, you know, that all plays a role on how our body works and how our mind is actually influencing our body. So I want to make sure that I constantly, add to my mental collection of understanding of how the body and the mind works. There's a real, there's a real humility with which you seem to approach your, your craft, your profession. And it stands in contrast with what, what I see in many like allopathic practitioners. And, and that is, uh, and an almost an obligation to give a definitive answer when a patient comes in rather than saying, well, you know, we don't know. I mean, even your approach to things like, uh, 
you know, blood tests and maybe like food allergies, like that's, that gives you some information of a specific moment in time, but it's not the definition of you and it, and it might not paint the full picture. And in fact, it, it might not paint the picture of who you will be tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Uh, and I, I really appreciate that humility with which you are approaching your, your profession and, and craft. And I, I kind of wish that others would adopt it in this space. Yeah, no, it, it's, I've, I've, the, it, you know, I think there's, I think Socrates is the one that says the more, you know, the more you think, you know, you don't. And, um, every time I get a new book, I, that's my obsession. That's why I, I research the more I realize that I'm like, Oh, I, I figured it out. And, and it's no, you didn't because then you have this aspect and it's really enlightening. And like you said, very humbling. And, and when even someone, you know, people express to me, like they want to understand how to not believe in the germ theory and they, they want an alternative definitive answer. And there's no such thing because we have yet, just like, you know, the, the, we've only really explored 30, 40% of this planet. We, what do we know right now of, of our, of our bodies, of our engagement with the environment, of our engagement with the energy around us, of our engagement with the stars and the sun and the cloud, you know, like there's just so much. And uh, when you keep going to that, when you keep going, Oh, there's so much more, you can never say, okay, this is the, this is the reason. And I can, I, I will never say this is the reason, you know, like, even though my husband hates it when I go, this is the, you know, when something burns or cracks, I'll be like, this is, a, well, so you could be definitive on that, but you can't be definitive on why someone has a rat. <laughs> you know? uh, as a student of old texts, like you were mentioning, do you, do you feel that there was a time in, we'll call it the distant past where, where people did have a finer tuned sense of how we fit into this whole mysterious place, you know, as relates to the stars and the moon and the sun and, and all that? I, I think they had a better understanding because they weren't definitive, because they understood the complexity of their existence, right? You you look at natives, uh, native North Americans, or you look at aboriginals from Australia or South Americans, wherever you go, Africa, they understood that there's it was so much that they didn't want to define it because if they defined it, then they thought then they would be something missed yeah. right something lost you know the the beauty of the, the interaction and the beauty of you know whatever it is that created us or nature mother nature or the great spirit or you know the food you eat and the energy from the food that you eat or so i feel like they had a better understanding because they didn't limit themselves to a definition they didn't limit themselves to a label yeah. You know, and when I studied shamanism and, and I mean the shamanism of like the cultures from Africa and South America and things like that, um, people did what they did. They knew that they were part of nature and the shaman was always the one that actually made sure that, you know, even the leaf that they touched and brushed up against would have a ripple effect, you know, that, that the animal that they killed to eat had to have a ripple effect. And, um, and that even, you know, if the, the sun was looking redder or the moon didn't come out that, you know, it was just a, a new moon and there was no moon in the sky that these will all have effects. And so if someone came with some issue, the shaman would explain it was 
you know, we have to take into account that the, the crops didn't grow or we didn't kill this particular, or you ate a particular part of an animal that you shouldn't, you know, like all these different things. And I think that appreciation of how many influ- how much stimulus, you know, this, all the different things that, you know, engage with us are, are essentially important to take in as an aspect of influence. And I, I think that's where we lost that when the more we inculcated ourselves to, you know, defining every aspect and labeling everything, we lost the understanding of that. And now we're stuck in a place where mm. we have to, we have to go back to that because it's like, oh my God, you know, a, a rash. It's like, oh, but it's, but I don't understand, you know, this is the way you do it. This is the cream you put on it is why isn't it getting better? And it's, it's like, well, because we got, we got to look at every aspect, you know, like, and, and that it seems like it's a new thing for a lot of people when in fact it's a very old thing. Yeah. It's like, we have to unlearn how we learn. <laughs> right. Uh, I, one of my favorite quotes these days, and I hear Tom Cowan trot this one out often is it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. That exactly. It's it's exactly. Yeah. No. Tom Cowan has a lot of those beautiful <laughs> sayings. He collects like, them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, Doctor Mori, when you were in allopathic medical school, did, I'm I'm making I'm going to make an assumption. But I'm just actually ask for clarification. Sure. They, they don't teach pleomorphism or the microzyma, do they? Oh God, no. Oh God. So That's, no. why is that? Why is that not taught? What is the What is the controversy here? Why uh, Why is like modern science not hip to that? <laughs> I mean, we're we're looking at history, right? So back, we could go back to Bachamp and Pasteur, right? And so all the works of Bachamp have been thrown to the wayside, thrown in the garbage, essentially. And it was really only. Uh, people who really subscribe, like the hygienists and the naturopaths and some of the early chiropractors and, you know, the people who really kind of just still stuck to the idea of, you know, the environment engaging with us that really followed that. But the moment that we started to have medical men, right, people who, you know, you had medical societies in Europe. And then when medicine was brought over here, you had different types of medical schools, but the medical schools didn't subscribe to that. And, um, that, that, that whole idea was thrown out. And then when it was reinvigorated by using the dark field microscope by many different early, uh, microscopists like uh, Enderline again, you know, I think he was in like the early 1930s. Um, it was woo woo. It was woo woo because it was like, oh, you're just seeing just like we claim virologists are seeing artifacts in EM. They were claiming, oh, no, it's just stuff like that has nothing to do with anything. Like, you know, that just that's your body moving or whatever. And, um, it, it doesn't because of the germs, really because of the germ theory, the germ theory gives answers. Remember that, that whole definitive thing we just talked about. So when the medical men and the medical schools and, and, and the guys of, of university became the doctors and, and, you know, bogarted the whole medical system, you know, took away midwives and nurses and things like that. The germ idea is what allowed them to give you the definitive answer of problems. So microzymas would have murky, um, you know, made that water murky, Mm -hmm. you know, made, made the, made questions come back. 
And I feel like that plus on top of that, when there was always a selling pharmaceutical companies may not have existed in the way they exist now back then, but there's definitely a dispensing of sulfur medicines and uh, mercury based medicines. And again, those companies who are institutions essentially were the ones that made sure that the germ theory was stuck to because then you can't sell a medicine if the answer is iffy. So if it's like, oh, if it's a problem here, take laudanum. If it's a problem, here's an arsenic-based drug, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one Just, disease, one cure. And while Correct. we're on, on pleomorphism, you mentioned Pleomorphic Sanum was a, a company that you worked for. Is that right? Yes, Pleosanum. And, mm-hmm. and what sort of products were they offering then? Um, they're, they're called isopathics. So homeopathics are dilutions to the point where you go past Avogadro's, Avogadro's number. Right. where there technically is no physical matter left within the molecules <coughs> of the um, product. Right. Isopathics are, you know, like very, like they're, you know, it's only two or three time dilutions. Okay. And what they do is they would utilize what would be considered an organism, right? So like penicillium or um, uh, a certain bacteria or again, another type of fungus or whatever it may be. And they would dilute it slightly down. And you would take this dilution, you would take this dilution to help the microzymas do their job better in the body. And they usually came in, they usually came in, salut. <laughs> salut. So in, in, just to let you know, in um, Greek culture, I'm not Greek, my husband's Greek, but in Greek culture, when you are telling the truth, someone sneezes. <laughs> so, <laughs> So uh, that's kind of funny. You're on a, you're on a roll. <laughs> I'm on a roll. Um, so um, so all these different, you would take them in drops or you would take them if it was something on your skin, they would make a cream of it or whatever, or they had ampules. Um, but the point being is that it would be working on communicating to the microzymas to facilitate them to do a better job, right? Mm-hmm. So that your whatever issue you have wouldn't be, you know, let's say the issue is five days long, it would help the microzymas clean up better so that your issue is now three days long. To sort of um, wake so, up, to invigorate that process, to right, wake it up. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Along with the fact that you also had to um, make sure that the avenues of excretion were obviously working too, right. because, you know, if you're making them work better, some it's got to go out somewhere. Right. Uh, Dr. Mari, for the audience member who might be joining us for, for the first time or, or recently, h- how do you devi- define the microzyma and their role? I, I think of them as precursors, like what we define DNA as almost, because um, to me, DNA is still up in the air. As As weird as it sounds, I still, I don't, you know, I think also Dr. Cowan says the same thing. Like what we see DNA as in an EM isn't a definitive as to what DNA really is. And I think the microzymas are more of what we think DNA is in that they help facilitate cells in our body along with things outside of our body to create what they need to create basically the idea of like almost what a stem, like you take a stem cell and it has no direction. The microzyma tells the stem cell, essentially the the early cell, okay, you're going to be a heart cell. 
So this is what you need to do. And it helps it with, once it becomes this heart cell, it helps it do its function inside and outside of the cell. So I call them precursors. Um, and I, th I think they're, they're pre whatever it is that they need to be. So they're either pre helping the cell or pre bacteria or pre fungus or whatever it is that their function is. But without them, our cells don't work without them. Life doesn't exist. And they're constantly, the pleomorphism is they're constantly changing form and function based on the needs of the inner terrain, the environment of the inner terrain. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Exactly. Got it. So um, what are what are some of the ways that you are applying your understanding of the terrain model to your work with your patients? Well, it's all about, like Mike said, um, it's unlearning. So it's basically, I have to, I you know, a person comes in, they have an issue. And first I have to tell them the issue isn't what they think the issue is. <laughs> right. So we have to go back to that. And, you know, they'll, a lot of people come in with a diagnosis and a label, a name, a definitive, and we have to unlearn that. And so once we start to unlearn that, then I start to incorporate what it is and tell them that it's their body trying to eliminate something or respond to something or is telling them something. And in their body, there are things, because again, the grasping of microzymas, I try not to use too many words like pleomorphism because you'll see the eyes <laughs> just like, what are you talking about? So I don't use pleomorphism un unless it's a person coming in, obviously that has read a little bit, but I don't use pleomorphism in my words to them. And I don't use microzymas in my word to them. I just say that your body, you have a lot of little microorganisms and a lot of little, I call it like the God spark, like the, the sparkles, the, um, cause when you see in dark field microscope, they sparkle, right? They look like the little stars. Um, and I say all these little, all the, there's, there's unique structures around every cell and, you know, they, they help the cells do what they need to do. Um, and, the basis is to understand that everything that they do to their bodies, their thoughts, the, the things that touch their skin, you know, the things that they eat will all have an influence negative or positive. So we have to make sure that we're contributing to the body's constant flow of excretion and supporting nutrition, right? We don't want to be malnourished. Um, so it's basically just, helping people understand that there's no definitive in their diagnosis and to step away from that diagnosis because um, just like in a uh, fight club, right? Chuck Palahniuk, right? Because you are not your fill in the blank, right? So you are not your Lyme disease. You are not your psoriasis. Um, and that's important because people get wrapped up with that diagnosis and they, they, you know, they walk around with these labels. It feels like everybody should have like, you know, the patches like an idiocracy instead of a pharmaceutical company, <laughs> you should have your diagnoses like all over, right? Because that's what people do there. They make their decisions in life now because of their diagnoses. And I want to strip them of that. I want them to identify more with the power that they have, that they have the control to not be that. And they aren't that, you know, and that's where, how I incorporate it. It's more of, throw away all those diagnoses, throw away all those labs and let's find the balance where you can feel good. And who cares what the numbers on your labs are and who cares what the diagnosis are. It's about you feeling good and having the structure of your body just, just constantly flowing and the dynamic being responsive to, you know, the ever changing environment that's inside and outside of you. 
you're a new mom. You have a beautiful baby behind you. Mm-hmm. What are what are some of the ways that you're applying your understanding of terrain to motherhood? Oh, so much. I mean, it's because of the fact that I have an understanding of pleomorphism and the fact that the environment can change my body. I have to be diligent in, you know, not becoming in contact too much with toxins and making sure I'm as much nourished, if not more nourished than usual to support the growth of my, my child, you know, and, um, I have, I have actually a four and a half year old and I got to watch, um, that, that belief system flourish in her where she's four and a half and she's had one time which she had two days of feverishness and that's it she hasn't sorry she hasn't had um she hasn't had a a moment where her body was trying to you know rebalance itself i should say right and that's that's important to me that 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 kind of gives me the thumbs up that i'm kind of doing the right thing and, and I've had many patients with children. I've helped them, you know, get pregnant or had children or, you know, things like that. And, and seeing the turnaround, seeing the 180 from a child who, you know, from a, a patient's child who had colds all the time or constipation all the time or diarrhea all the time or, or whatever rash or whatever it may be, or even attention issues, just completely turn around. G- again, gives me the thumbs up, gives me the, you know what, you're on the right track because a child's body is so much more influenced by the environment because they're processing so much faster than us. Their cells are being created so much faster. So, you know, it's, it's, they're going to, they're a reflection of what you're doing at that moment because day in and day out is such a new experience that, you know, they could wake up and be completely almost different. Their body excreting something from the day before. Well said. So okay, so you have a four-year-old, so you're you're in it. What, what, yeah, I'd love. I mean, I'd love to just dive a little bit more into sure. like the details. Like, what are you know, what are some things that you're always making sure your child has? What are some of the things that you're avoiding? Maybe like some of the you know, what are some of those tips that you might share? So number one is where um, I am a Weston A. Price chapter leader, and I've been I've been with Weston A. Price since two thousand and five. Um, I, I raised goats actually when I was going to naturopathic medical school. I raised goats for almost two years. I used to wake up four thirty in the morning and milk them before taking a shower and heading over to school very early in the morning. So I was a raw milk drinker quite early. Um, raw milk is, you know, is a non-negotiable <laughs> raw milk is an absolute, um, you know, and that's from the get-go, the moment that, um, my four and a half year old was not breastfeeding, you know, it was a glass of raw milk. Um, sometimes I threw an egg yolk in there. Um, you know, cause that, I know that that would be like, that's her armor you know, for the day. That's her, when we walk out there and you've got car fumes and chemtrails and all sorts of things, um, that's her armor. Um, that gives her the probiotics that gives her 
all the vitamins that I know of, you know, that helps her go to the bathroom, you know, all those different things. Um, ensuring of obviously that she's growing, ensuring that she's getting the right amount of protein and fats is super important because. <laughs> Hello. Yes. yes, you're right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, what we avoid is essentially anything that's really processed. We don't do processed. I mean, you're going to get once in a while the kid that wants to, oh, I want potato chips and I'll try to get chips from a farm. You know, the Amish make their own potato chips. But if I can't get my hands on it, you know, something that's baked organic, I try to investigate as much as I can all the different companies um, that that um, make food, <laughs> essentially. Um, but I limit really uh, boxed and canned is not what I go for. You know, we do fresh fruit, um, farmers markets, pe farmers that I know. I'm very much into local, um, you know, limiting all the, you know, getting something from a different country that has to be boxed and shipped and crated and is not really fresh, you know, and we have a garden. Well, we had a garden and it's now the tail end of it, but, um, you know, fresh tomatoes and cucumbers and, you know, fermented veggies. You know, she loves her pickles to get, again, more of her probiotics. So it's really more of just limiting, pro like, ultra-processed or industrialized processed foods, incorporating more of the naturally processed. So you can't say you don't have processed food because cheese is processed, right? <laughs> right. So I we do a lot of raw cheeses. We do a lot of meat. Um, I make sure that there's organ meats kind of either ground into the ground meat, you know, so she's, the importance is to get a full array constantly. And it doesn't mean every day, right? So we know how four and a half years old, four and a half year olds are, you know, they might not eat, they'll, they'll have a piece of cheese, a glass of milk and be like, I'm good for today. <laughs> That's it. So, you know, I, I know that she loves her milk and we make the milk. Sometimes we put a little honey in it. Sometimes we put a little, uh, it's um it's a company that makes kind of like a coffee alternative because we don't drink coffee in the house. So it's uh, like um chicory, roasted chicory and, and roasted barley. And we put that in the milk and, you know, she thinks she's having coffee milk. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's just experiencing food and tastes and flavors that all are easy to digest, you know, and um, slowly it's just keeping that palate, you know, entertained and opened and, you know, even I, I like uh, incorporating all sorts of cultural foods. Like I like Indian food. I make some Indian food and Thai food, Vietnamese, Korean. We love our kimchi, you know, and, um, you know, it's just, I think food is a fantastic thing. I think people need to experience more different types of foods, different types of fermented foods, different ways of preparing foods, because there's different ways we can get our nutrition and our nutrients. And what about um, the the pregnancy window? What, what were some of the things that you were doing to maintain your health and the baby's health? Pregnancy was just enormous amounts of raw milk, enormous amounts of fats, enormous amounts of eggs. Um, traditionally, there's lots of cultures that believed eggs really helped um, with the the conception and the development of the child. And we know that eggs have folic acid. And what are the, one of the things that pregnant women should be consuming is folic acid, right? Um, it was just an increase of the amount of what I normally eat, right? So instead of just a glass of milk, it was like a quart of milk. Hmm. Instead of one egg, it was like three, four, five eggs. 
Um, you know, I had lots of bacon and lard and beef tallow on, you know, I would fry some potatoes and make French fries with beef tallow. Um, yeah. And, um, it was, it was just basically just making sure again, that I was going to the bathroom, you know, evacuating as much as possible, making sure, um, you know, I, I was really in tune with energy, making sure I didn't do too much. If I felt like, oh, that today something's going on where my body's using a lot of energy. Let me just slow down and breathe and relax and read. Maybe, you know, it was, it, it was keeping the stress really, really low and nourishing myself a lot. And I think a lot of the times we have a, too much of that, you know, when you're pregnant, go exercise and do and keep going. And your body is making it another human being, you know, like you have to give yourself a little break because of the fact that you need so much. And a lot of the times women come to me, you know, postpartum and we're talking postpartum, like 10, 15 years later, and there's things that need to be rebuilt now because they didn't take it in, but the, the growing child inside was taking it from them. So a lot of repair has to be done. A lot of re-nourishment has to be done. And, and that's what in my mind is always where I want to be the strongest I can be as they grow up. So I have to, I had to make sure that I was nourishing myself and nourishing the child at the same time. Yeah. We don't live in a society that makes it easy for pregnant women to step away and pump the brakes a little bit during that period. We have so many who will work right up until the moment they're giving birth and they're you know working the same long hours, the same sort of grueling tasks. Uh, and then even afterwards, we don't really have a great like maternity leave or paternity yeah. leave program in, in right. our society. Right. Absolutely. Um, that's a big thing. That was a big thing for us is I, I wanted my husband to take as much of a break as possible. Um, and that's important because the partner is there to also help. Right. So he was doing laundry. He was, he was, you know, helping doing, you know, all the tasks that I wasn't doing anymore. Um, and, and you see pictures on Instagram or Facebook or wherever of, the man after the birth sleeping, right? And people forget the mental stress that a partner is watching their their wife or significant other birthing. You know, the pregnancy at the tail end is stressful and then the, the birthing and then the recuperation. And the, you know, they always make fun of the guy sleeping. That was me. At the same time. And I'm just like, no, but that's that's true because he was you know, he has this tension of when's the baby going to come and oh, am I going to be prepared and what are we going to do? What if it happens in the car? You know, like all that stuff. And he needs a break as well. You know, he, he needs he needs to nourish himself as well or, or her, um, you know, because it's it's important that that the that the that the bonding experience happens, that the re-nourishment, that the stress relief happens. You know, that's all very important, too. Yeah. Yeah, well said. I, we certainly need to create better space, I think, in this society around that, that whole process um, for the family. Let's shift gears real quick. You mentioned bioresonance uh, on your on your website. I'd love to learn a little bit more about what you know what that is and how you use it in your practice. So, uh, just to break down the word for people who don't know what that is. So, bio is biological, right? That's life, and resonance is is in physics. It's like the vibration. So that could either be sound or light. Um, 
every living and inorganic material, everything on this planet essentially has a bioresonance, right? You know, and different fields, different genres call it different things, right? So we have some genres calling it the aura, you know, some people, so physics likes to talk, talk about, you know, the vibration because of the electrons spinning, you know, and um, some people talk about even like uh, the sound, right? Um, you know, that the, every, every organ, every system has a, almost a certain frequency. I think if one were to go into it, Rife was always talking about the different frequencies, right? Different frequencies of organisms. Um, and that's how the machine worked. Um, I do have um, a Rife, uh, a more newer version of the Rife machine. I don't use it as much as I should, but I should. <laughs> um, but um, I, how I incorporated it again is to, uh, we have a field. <laughs> We have a field, we have a, a resonant field, whether again, you believe in auras or electrons or whatever it may be, we all have fields. We all have electromagnetic fields. We have our own bio res our own biological electromagnetic field, right? And um, it engages with different things. It engages with the person next to you, it engages with your child, it engages with your, your dog or your cat, it engages with the plant, you know? And we also have things that may not be as, been beneficial, like your computer, your cell phone, they have also a resonance. They have an electromagnetism. So educating people on the fact that they shouldn't put their cell phone in their back pocket, you know, educating people on the fact that they shouldn't have their laptop on their lap, especially men who are trying to have babies. Right. So it's in it for me, it's really important that that education needs to be a, even more reinforced because I see a lot of people who are natural practitioners not talking enough about the different fields we engage in. Every time we walk into a room, even before we walk into a room, our field is engaging with the things that we're about to step into. You know, and I always explain it to people like, you know, sometimes that feeling you get right before you walk into a party. I go, that's your field engaging with other fields. And I go, sometimes you may not even step into it. Let's say you go to a party and you stand outside because the party's an inside outside party. You never get inside and you find out later that the people inside, you know, um, were having the sniffles or the whatever. And all of a sudden you have the sniffles that could have been your field engaging with their field of detoxification. You know what I mean? It could be as simple as that. Like, but you know, people have to, there's another unlearning, right? That we are these constructs of physicality that have no other engagement other than if you touch my skin, right? Or, or if something, if moisturizer goes on my skin, or if you smell fumes of a paint, there's so much more engagement and bioresonance is helping people understand that, helping people understand that there, you are, your, if we want to do it the physics way, your electrons can be expanding out as far as miles and miles, even beyond miles, right? You know, there's even a theory that there's no electrons and there's only one electron, right? And that we're just all surrounded by this one electron, right? And it's just an electron cloud, but makes it look like there's more electrons than one. So I tell people all the time, you, you may not, let's say your daughter's upset, you are going to take that on. So when we talk about, you know, a lot of the times when I have moms or, or children or teenagers um, or people in relationships, 
that have that that have changes in their own levels of stress and emotionality. I sometimes we have to examine, you know, what what's happening around them. Like if you're going to a job and the people, some people around you are miserable and you're all of a sudden miserable, but you don't know why. It could be as simple as, again, you're you're engaging with their their field and being affected by that. And that's not going to make you want to go to your job. And then all of a sudden you go, why? I just don't want to do this job anymore. And it's not like I don't like it. I just don't want to go. And that could very well be one of the reasons why. Yeah. When a bioresonance is one of those like possible explanations, alternative explanations to quote unquote contagion, something right. you think of something like chicken pox is the first right. to come to mind. Right. Chicken right. pox parties. You've got a kid who's expressing this rash. Uh, and so you bring the other kids over and all of a sudden they are expressing the same thing. And the, right. the, uh, <clears throat> the, Traditional explanation is what's well, the varicella, and you're spreading that. Um, but bioresonance is one of those explanations, correct? Yes, absolutely. I think a really great example, and it's been moving around um, quite a lot recently, is um, there's a man who does a, a tuning fork, and I actually use this example a multitude of times. Um, there's a man here. There you go. You could play with her now. <laughs> <laughs> there's a man holding a tuning fork and it's 512 hertz right and then he has another tuning fork that's 440 and he hits the 512 and does nothing to the 440 but he takes another 440 hits it and it makes the four the other 440 vibrate and make a sound um and i actually use it as an example because i think it's very important because i'm i'm you know i've played the violin since i was three and a half and we use tuning forks all the time Hmm. and to me it just it makes absolute sense like why is it that you tune an orchestra? You know, I was a concert master and you tune the orchestra so that instead of it sounding like a multitude of violins, it sounds like one huge violin, right? And the same thing goes to all these quote unquote disease manifestations, which are just, again, different forms of detoxification. When you have one person expressing and everybody else has the same similar resonance, Instead of everybody just doing their own thing, you're just going to have everybody do the same thing because they're all on the same frequency. I have a question about detoxing that has been nagging me, and uh, I figure I'll ask you since you're right here. Is So we have these toxins in our bodies, you know, take your pick. There's billions of them to choose from, right? Let's just call it, say, heavy metal or aluminum or something is in your body. Right. You're trying to get it out, and you do you jump through all the hoops to... Not the hoops, but you 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 initiate protocols to initiate sure. detoxing, sure. be it sweat, snot, what goes in the toilet, etc. Sure, is is it a one to one relationship that that aluminum is literally in your snot, or it's in the toilet, or it's coming out your skin? Is it does it work that way? That that literally? That's a really good question, and I I want to believe so, but it's it's sometimes not that simple. You, but the body detoxifies or excretes or drains um, whenever it's capable and when it feels the strongest, right? (laughs) Um, That's my four and a half year old. Four and a half year old. Yay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's a family affair. I love it. (laughs) 
Hold on. Okay. <laughs> my 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 daughter. <laughs> right? Who's who's the boss? <laughs> my daughter. I didn't even know my daughter knew how to use the the baby. Monitor. <laughs> oh, amazing. <laughs> <for me. laughs> Give me one. Second. No problem. <laughs> you've you, you've got your hands full. Oh no, she's she's a smart one. It's it's beyond. Like I don't remember being that smart. Yeah. I don't. I was smart, but well, it is funny. I'm sitting here watching you with your 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 little newborn on your lap, and just the download of information that child is getting just from from you know, it's incredible. Yeah, no, we have conversations like that. All my husband and I, because he's on the same page as me since day one. You yeah. know, I've yeah. known him for almost 15 years now and he like he was just the one we had a conversation the first time he was just like oh my god someone else that you know gets gets it you know someone else that can talk at this level incredible don't if you were sitting in the car this would be every day for you you know like you'd be in the car you know (laughs) every day all breakfast lunch dinner every day every day every day amazing terrain by osmosis yeah oh yeah absolutely all right um but um, in in terms of detoxification and or drainage or excretion, it your body doesn't want to eliminate something that's going to make you sick again. Sure. Right. So it's going to do it at a time or someone else for that matter. Right. 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 Um, it's going to do it at a time where it feels the strongest. Right. And I always give an example to clients because they always they never understand. Like I went on vacation. I did. I swear I didn't eat that much bad. I didn't you know, I, I barely drank alcohol. I was relaxed the whole time. I even lost a couple pounds of, you know, I was so happy. And then two weeks later, they're like, oh, I've got this cold and this, that. And I'm like, your body was getting sun and sand and getting all these things to uplift you. You know, you feel great mentally, physically, emotionally. And your body's like, Oh, great. This is great. You're feeling strong. (laughs) Let's eliminate some stuff. Yep. Now let's clean the closets now. You know what I mean? And that's where I feel sometimes. And, um, and, uh, you know, I, I have a book in the works, but that, um, it's hopefully coming out at the end of the year, but the second book is more of a, like a how-to, um, it's in understanding that exact question you just asked. Because I feel like a lot of people are programmed again to the idea that they have to force themselves to detox. That they that they're not their body's not knowledgeable enough to do it. So they need some sort of program or cleanse or special water or whatever it may be. You don't need anything other than fresh, clean water, you know, like I like the structured water idea because it's like you drinking from a, a, a waterfall. So, you know, that, yes. But in terms of like, you know, special water with special, you know, like, you know, vitamins in it, that's doesn't, that doesn't suit me. But the idea is once you give your body the sunlight and the fresh air and the clean water and nourishment without the toxins, without, you know, being constipated, making sure you're excreting, your body will do it. And eventually if that flow continues, will excrete that arsenic, excrete that aluminum, excrete that stuff in small amounts um, without you even knowing, Mm. you know, like as long as you're not stressed out and your body's all clenched up, you know, Mm. and 
or, or emotional or psychological stuff or whatever it may be, your body will just like slowly but surely, you know, clean it out. It's almost and, like a, a homeopathic dose of detox. Just like Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it might be in your snot. It might be in your, you know, your your tears. It might be in your urine, you know, and but it, it you need that you need that flow. Yeah. You know, you need the positives in and the and the the yuck out. And of course, um, that speaks yeah. to the idea of just throwing the Band-Aid culture that we live in where we're, oh, I'm sick, I need to like up my vegetables or my minerals. Well, obviously, we should just always be eating this way. So it's a constant right. flow of right. getting the right. right nutrition in so your body's always optimized. Mm-hmm. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. And then you think <clears throat> how many people out there get themselves into a state where they are finally healthy and they've achieved a better balance internally, and then they have the symptoms of a detox, and then they're throwing medicines at it to suppress those symptoms. And then they're just back on this vicious sort of downward spiral. That's right. It's a, it's the merry-go-round that, you know, I, there's a great gif of that where it's like a person hanging onto the merry-go-round and just, you know, being dragged along the merry-go-round. It's my favorite because it's like, oh, you just, but you just started and then you're suppressing and then you're going to feel better and suppress it again when it comes on back again over and over. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of work to extract ourselves from that paradigm. Yeah, no, it is because again, it's you, even like cartoons. You know, they, it's just this this incessant need to either expedite a process or to force a process. You know, and it, it's we've never really accomplished the idea of just le- having faith in the body's capabilities. And that's, that's the reinforcement of not only in our educational system, our, our entire medical system is this idea that the body has some sort of stupidity. Like it's just, you know, there, it, it can't. So we need to help it because it can't. Right. Yeah. Dr. Mari, where, where is spirituality or higher power? Where does that sit in your life and your practice? Oh, it's very important. I mean, for me, it's like I said I, I, early on. I see that sparkle—the sparkles of the um, the microzymas or the there. You can't see the microzymas; they're super micro. But when they're in, they're more. Um, they have three three forms before they turn into bacteria. So right before they turn into bacteria, well, I shouldn't say right before they they're bigger, so you can see them, and that's that sparkle that you see in the dark field microscope, hmm. and to to me, the fact that they are still these unknown things that, that are amorphous, right. And that they are needed for everything to actually exist. You know, that for me is when you see that, when you know that there's an intelligence that we'll never understand. We don't have the capacity to understand. We can try to get there, right? With how we talk about the engagement, the environment and the leaf in a plant and how I can make a baby and all that stuff, right? But to me, it's it's more of understanding that there there is an intelligence in everything and you have to constantly bow down to that to understand that that is so wise that it it knows sometimes more than you do. And it goes back to the initial conversation of being humbled. And that's what humbles me all the time is that the best I can do is always try to help it, you know, help people let it work through them. 
and and bring it out of them, empower them to understand that they are connected to that. No matter if you believe in in your a uh, religious god or whether you believe in mother nature or you're a wiccan, it doesn't matter. There there's a power within you that your existence is an expression of that power because you wouldn't be here if that were the case, right? So it, it, it folds in to, I don't talk about it, as, you know, in a religious sense. I don't really emphasize it hugely to every person that walks in, in my door for help. Although there are people, you know, that need that type of, you know, support and understanding of, of having faith in their body because faith is a, a wonderful word that I feel needs to be emphasized more, even with natural practitioners to, to have faith that your body does know just, just, and it's not blind faith. You see it, right? You, you cut yourself, you bleed, it scabs, it goes away. You didn't, you didn't have to look at it and stare at it and, and, and concentrate on for your body to heal it just does, which means that you have to have faith that that process exists for all the different functions of the body. That's so beautifully said. I think that lesson right there is one that I hope resonates with the listener and the the, the world beyond. Dr. Mari, what are some of your more memorable success stories? Oh, so many. <laughs> That's why I love what I do, right? Um, uh, uh, my my favorites are, are a woman who came in with a glio- an inoperable brain tumor. Um, you know, she had a couple years, but we worked, we used a lot of Pleo products, a lot of raw milk drinking. Um, she came in with the brain tumor, um, couldn't walk, wheelchaired, um, very dizzy, you know, all sorts of things. And uh, sh- this was nine years ago. Uh, she's still alive today. There's no tumor in her brain and she walks with a cane. So, you know, it's you could call it a miracle you could call it you just let let the power of you know your whole body working together and removing whatever garbage you know that's that's what happened you know and that those are one of my one of my fondest ones is having a woman who is told she's going to die in less than 2 years and in a wheelchair and having a nurse help her to she's now doing everything on her own and she walks with a cane and she's still alive today did, did she do any other form of therapy, chemo or radiation? Nope, nothing. nothing. It was an inoperable one. Radiation, it was in, more by the corpus callosum, like in the center of her brain. So radiation wouldn't have really done anything. Um, so she did nothing. She just subscribed to the, well, uh, she was a very, uh, very religious Christian. So she just, you know, in the hands of God, essentially for her. And I said, well, if, if that's what you believe, then we're just going to get that energy right through you and make it come out with all the different things we'll do. So it was, it was actually really helpful that she didn't do anything because then I didn't have to fight against any type of detox, more detoxification of more toxic material. So I, I subscribe it even more to that, to the fact that I didn't, I wasn't fighting with her body as well. You know, um, all the, all the couples that come that have had problems conceiving, those are always memorable because you, you know, you have, you, you help bring a new life into the world. Um, what's another good one? Another, oh, um, uh, a couple of couples I had, one of the partners had were supposedly 
um, diagnosed with HIV. Um, and so uh, they wanted to, you know, I had a couple of them wanting to have a baby, but afraid, you know, this, that, and the other. So it was a re-education of the whole virus conversation and germ theory conversation. Um, so that was very memorable as well, because, you know, you have a baby coming into the world that supposedly doesn't have this diagnosis and the partner doesn't have a diagnosis. So, you know, it's it, again, re-education, that type of stuff. And um, autistic, a lot of autistic children that I've helped, you know, when you, when you have a mom who's has a two, three, four, seven year old, not speaking, or, um, you know, being told that this is going to be the way things are for the, where they're going to be nonverbal or, or angry or smashing their head against the wall. When you turn that around and you have a mom holding the baby up in, in FaceTime going, Hey, look, look at Dr. Darcy. And you have the, the, the child waving hello, saying things and, you know, being able to do their ABCs when they were completely nonverbal, you know, it, it's touching. It's, it, it's again, it's just a, a satisfaction knowing that you're, you're progressing and learning and doing the right things for people. Yeah. It's clear you're on the right path. So tell us a little bit more about this book that we can expect. Yes. Um, I'm very excited about it. Um, I actually wanted to write it about 10, 10 years ago. <laughs> and, and then finally, when I had a lot of free time during 2020, <laughs> um, I was pushed by uh, good friends of mine who were um, got educate, uh, educated by me during 2020 um, in terms of what was happening. And they were like, you really need to write this down because people are going to believe that and they should be believing what you're saying. So I, I really, my, my first was only, I think two, two and a half. So she was still nap time, that type of thing. Um, so it was the only time I got to write was when she was taking her long nap of two hours and it would be every day, you know, just typing away or, you know, recording. And then my husband would be transcribing at, at 10 PM at night. Um, and it's basically a little bit of history because again, I'm a history, a history lover. So it's a little bit of understanding what happened with Bichamp and Pasteur and an, ex an explanation more so in history of why we saw diseases in history, right? Like it was the toxin, the tanning toxins of leather in the rivers and, you know, or, you know, it was some sort of uh, toxins coming from, you know, fumes from industry, you know, typhoid Mary wasn't a typhoid bacterium, but rather all the stuff in the Hudson river and they were getting the big ice cubes from there, you know, like it was an, I, I really went into explaining all the different aspects of health historically, you know, and, and big, big name people like Florence Nightingale talking about hygienics, you know, talking about fresh air and, and, and clean water and, and, and sunlight to help heal people, you know? And so I, that's part of the book to explain historical issues. Right. And then I go into pleomorphism and explaining it to the point where, and I'm a big advocate of being able to explain something to a child. Like to me, if so, my mom was, uh, an electron microscopist, um, she was a hematologist. She was a biology teacher, um, natural life science teacher. So she taught little kids. She taught like 10, 12 year olds. And she always said to me, if you can't explain it to a little kid, then you don't really fully understand it. Right. So I'm big in, I need to be able to explain pleomorphism to the point that you could teach a child. And this, this book in part in the section of the book is all about 
learning and and understanding the microzymas or the protists or this you know whatever you want to call them um and understanding how they're involved in our life and how they're involved in what we call disease and and why they're important and then the the end part of the book is more about again the empowerment that we have to remove the idea of catching of 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 calling it disease that we have to we're not fighting a cold you know like it's re reframing your brain to understanding that we have to work with the body's detoxification that you have the power to be healthy that you don't have to choose to be sick so it's a lot of empowerment at the end part because you're getting all this information about where disease is coming from and you're getting all this information of pleomorphism you know i wanted to just at least end with you know what you can do a little bit on how to incorporate all that information for yourself wonderful and that's coming out you think hopefully hopefully by the end of this year um i have to do a little bit more editing um i have a wonderful editor um, so yeah, I have to do a little bit more writing. I took a hiatus from it only because maternity leave, end of pregnancy was, you know, I was just slowing down and not wanting to do too much brainiac stuff, you know? Um, so I'm going to get back into the bandwagon to, of, of editing that. Um, meanwhile, I'm actually putting aside a second part to that first book, um, with more details, as I said earlier, more details on, really scrutinizing, you know, like how to discern whether a detox program is actually helping you or hurting you to understand what it is to detox. And, and, and again, reframing the idea that detox is not a fad word. It's not a, a structured process that it's, it's a, it's the dynamic of the body to excrete. So really educating people on what detox is and how to utilize it during like a convalescent period because convalescence is a convalescence is a lost art mm -hmm. you know like we don't convalesce long enough we don't convalesce at all mm -hmm. essentially um, we don't really um, give credence or or um, power to the the ability that the the body has in order to heal therefore we don't really take the time to give it that space right so convalescence is also a really important in that secondary book um, because we need to rest during these times. Well, those sound like remarkable resources. We look forward to, to seeing those. Uh, Dr. Mari, we're sort of getting towards the end here. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Question that we ask all our guests, what are your non-negotiables, the daily habits you do to tend to your terrain? Um, as I said earlier, so most importantly is, um, I have my raw milk, <laughs> um, but really truly is getting sun, whether it's a cloudy day or not, you know, getting some sunlight in the house, um, or going outside, um, getting, getting those, those beams on you. Um, that's super important. Fresh air, super important. You know, whether you're in an apartment in the city, you know, trying to get, get some filters on, just get fresh air. Take the time if you are in the city to go to someplace that has greenery. Um, you know, like I am, it's really important that we surround ourselves. Like we take walks in the park or things like that. Um, farmers, some of our farmers markets are actually in the park, which is really nice. So we sit and we have a picnic, you know, that's, that's a non-negotiable for me to have fresh air, sunlight, um, drinking clean water, very important for us. Um, and then have taking time to really kind of connect with one another, right? Like having that picnic in the park, 
having good conversations, de-stressing as much as possible. You know, like I don't, I don't take any of my stress with me. I, I like, I, I, I box it. I'm very compartmentalized. So, you know, m- when I'm with my daughter, my daughters, it's all about laughter and joking and experiencing those moments, you know, and that's really, that's a non-negotiable that I need to have laugh, laughter. Absolutely. hundred percent all the time. I love it. And where can the listener learn more about you? I'm a dud when it comes to social media. Um, I have, um, I'm just getting into it. So even though I've had a Twitter account, although it's now called X, but I've had a Twitter account since 2009, but I've only jumped on it in the last like six months and, um, social media, I'm terrible, you know, on Instagram, but tidbits, you'll get tidbits of me. I'm, I'm, my husband calls me a recluse, you know, he's, he's like, you, you, you're this person who people come to see, they don't even like, know you or anything and you just <laughs> help them. And I, he's like, you got to get more out there so people can get, you know, your knowledge without, and I was like, well, but that's why I wrote a book because, <laughs> you know, but you know, you can find me on Facebook. I, I put some things here and there, not really a lot. Instagram, a little more knowledge. Twitter now, because I've engaged more, um, you'll see tidbits of articles that I post um, my websites, I have two websites. I have more of my formal website, Natural Care of Westchester, which is the business. And then I have my more personal website, which is terraindoctor.com. Um, I have a blog there that I post once a week on a topic. Um, so it's, it's, it, you could find me anywhere. You could catch me anywhere, but I'm actually very social in, in that if you decide that you want to give me a call or text me, I'm all about like, I'll, I'll, I'll speak speak to you for 15, 20 minutes. Not a problem. I'm, I'm really that I'm more of a one-to-one engagement type of people. I'm not a, I'm like the old fashioned, I don't do that social media thing. You know, like I try to, but I'm really bad at it. Humble, humble and accessible. Love it. It's a great combo. (laughs) Well, Dr. Mari Arsa, thank you so much for joining us on the train theory podcast. My pleasure guys. Thank you so much, Ben and Mike. Thank you. Wonderful. You guys, your podcast is amazing. Thank Thank you so so much. much. Welcome to the after party in the pineal room. <laughs> the, being caffeine free hasn't tamped you down at all, Benjamin. Ah, that was so forced. That was every <laughs> <laughs> Come on. No, you're a natural. You don't need that shit. Uh, folks, we are both Mike and I are, I mean, going on two weeks caffeine free. So we took our lessons from Mr. Kristoff and we just said, okay, let's do it. We're going to, we're going to give this a shot. And here we are. We're still standing. Still in the pineal room. Still in the pineal room. Yeah. Uh, well, all right. We're going to talk about Dr. Mari, but first let's just check in. How are you doing being completely caffeine free? You're like a week plus now, right? Yeah, it's funny. I didn't like write a little mark in my calendar or anything to sort of take take notes or anything. I'm just sort of winging it. But I think it's about a week. And I, yeah. today is the first day I don't feel. Um, I don't. What, I want to choose my word carefully. <laughs> complete garbage. <laughs> sure, let's go with that. I feel. I feel like I'm. I'm achieving ballast uh, now, and about a week weekend, which is sort of what I thought. I thought by the end of September, I'd probably start to feel 
that this was a normal way to feel. But yeah, the first week was was a slog. Plus, August was such a grind, and there was just so much going on that like to to uh, throw that on my plate in the midst of 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 all I've just been through. <laughs> it was a lot. So I've been just sort of like trying to remind myself to go easy and like take it take it one breath at a time, as yeah. Doctor Rob would say. One breath at a time. How are you? I well, I decided. So I'm just back from a pretty epic trip to the Grand Canyon. And the day I left, it was like August 31st or something. So this is like right after the hoot. Right. So two days after coming back from the hoot, I had to pack up, fly at a Manchester airport at like, it was like a 6 a.m. flight. So I decided that morning, this is it. I'm not going to have any caffeine when I wake up. The morning of your flight. The morning of my flight. And just went that entire day, didn't drink caffeine. Then I was like, all right, I'm just, I'm on it now. I'm heading into a canyon. I'm not going to have my phone on at all. I know there's going to be coffee and like tea options, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to give this a go. Like what better time than when I don't have any work to do, I'm just going to be like floating down a river and swimming in a river and seeing this epic landscape. And it was awesome. I mean, it was awesome just because of where I was. Uh, I think it was a perfect environment to yeah, yeah, to yeah. drop caffeine. However, on the day I got, like the first day of work, full work after getting back, which was really just uh, three days ago, Monday, right? Um, combination of being like jet lagged. I didn't sleep that much on this trip. Yeah. And then having like a full, just like, boom, we're back in it. I was, I was pretty bad. <laughs> and I was close, man. I was really close to being like, you know what? I'm just, I, I need, I need, I need the mate. Um, but I sat with it, you know, it was like this, it was the whole painkiller thing. Uh, I'm going to feel this pain. And the fact that I feel this way really tells me how badly I need to be off this. Yeah. Or maybe how important it is to experience being off of it. So made it through, got like a couple really good nights of sleep just sort of back in my nice routine, like morning sun and you know, yep. all that's all that fun stuff. Good. Um, and I think today, like you, like today I f- feel pretty good, feel pretty energized naturally. And you were able to, um, keep the headaches at bay just by going cold Turkey. Like didn't that. have any headaches. And again, I think part of it was because I was like, I was on the Colorado river in this beautiful space. Yeah. I was able to just like jump in the river whenever I wanted to. And that just, you know, it was like a natural whatever. Incredible. Um, yeah. So here's where we are. And I, I don't know about you. Well, first of all, the, uh, the, the prediction that you thought like by the end of September, I actually think it's going to be a longer process. Right. I think that given the number of years that I've been drinking caffeine regularly, I think it's going to be a long process of like working this out of my, you know, mind, body, spirit. And I'm prepared for it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be in this for the long haul because I think it's going to take, it might take, I'm ready for it to take a while before I really start reaping the benefits of being off of this. I think that's intelligent. We all want that quick solution, that quick fix. Like, oh, I kicked it. Now I'm fine. But I think you're right. It's going to be, it's going to be a long slog and a, a, a beautiful a beautiful sort of elevation over a long, a longer arc. Yep. I yep. agree. So I see we're it in too. it. We're in it. All right. Dr. Mari. Oh, what a beautiful woman. Just a fountain of knowledge. I loved how like how down to earth she is and how, she, how confident she is. And it's really interesting because I think you and I both bring this up a lot. This, 
this seesaw of uh, frugivore, plant-based, and the Weston A. Price healthy fat sort of tug of war. And it's, I'm, I just, it's really interesting that it, I'm still so confused about that. But when you hear someone like her um, back it up with her results, it just really seems to really seems to resonate. I got to say, when she brought up glioblastoma, it's like tears well up in my eye for yeah. your, your family's history. It's And to hear her like these success stories of people being able to detox from that, it's, it's really something. Yeah, I know. I was, yeah, I sort of had to bite my, bite my inner lip to keep from, yeah, the waterworks. Um, yeah, it's easy, man, it's easy to look back and go, what, you know, what if, like what could have been, right, and you, right, you can right. just operate, you can just, you know, you function on what you know now yeah, or what you think you know now. Um, and that's an impossible decision for, you know, like a family to make, a pa- parents to make, you know, imagine like your kid is in, has that diagnosis. It's, it's one thing if you're an adult with that diagnosis and you're like, I, I'm, I'm going to go this route. I'm not going to do radiation operation. I mean, in her case, it was inoperable, but um, her, her, her options were limited, but you know, we put our faith in the people that, in, in the people that we've seen to take care of our health, you know, to oversee our health. We put our faith in these folks from an early age. And when they say this is the best course of action, you, you know, you take it. Um, yeah. And that's what that was. Learning experience. You know, I mean, in many ways, I think that's that's how you ended up here. Very much doing, so. Doing this podcast. Very much so. Yeah. yeah, I think I think a lot about that. I think a lot about that journey and Josh's journey. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've said it before. I've said it to you. I think I've said it in this after party that if I were given a cancer diagnosis, like I, the first thing I would do is check into a Costa Rica water fast retreat. Yeah, like that. Any like any significant kind of diagnosis, I, that would be my first course of action, based on everything we've like learned along this journey. Yeah. Uh, or though, actually, now it might it might just be <laughs> give Doctor Mari a call. <laughs> yeah, because I think there's more to it. You know, I think like fasting is one is is one protocol, but I think there is something to be said for continuing to nourish your body. Yeah. Um, in the right ways, like you can continue to put food in your body, make sure that the right foods avoid the wrong foods and then just like get everything else right. It doesn't, I don't think it necessarily has to be a water fast. And I think there might be circumstances where the water fast might not be the best option. Sure. It might just be too drastic, but, uh, I think in that instance, I might actually consult a person like Dr. Mario and just say, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. Anyway, that's, you know, this is all hypothetical, but she makes right. a strong case for nutrition, 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 which is sort of part and parcel of always be detoxing. It's like they're yeah, two sides of, of the same coin. I thought of that when we, when you started talking about detoxing, the uh, the always be detoxing thing. And I guess that is the case. Like your body will do it. Your body will always just naturally do it. You just need to create the environment where it's optimized to do it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then don't freak out when it starts detoxing and you show some symptoms of something. Because that is the, that's the goal. E.g. a skin rash. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I'm, so I'm actually, I'm like like kind of on that topic. I'm sort of bracing myself because if I cutting out caffeine, if caffeine is a, is a poison, is a toxin and we cut that out and we're creating a better environment for continued detoxing, like I just got to be ready. You got to be ready. Like some nasty shit might happen. We just got to sort of brace ourselves and be ready. Certainly. And know that it's going to be better on the other side. 
Yeah. And was this your first time uh, meeting Mari? Yeah. So I, you know, there'd been some interactions just, actually, I don't even know if I directly interacted with her in the, the terrain family telegram channel of which I'm a part and will often pop in just to read. Um, I just saw her, you know, she's a fairly frequent contributor there and it's always really insightful observations and, uh, a lot of conversations around pleomorphism and the microzyma and it's like, wow, this, she really just knows so much. We got to get her on and glad that we did. So that was really the only interaction was through the telegram. Well done. Yeah, no, she's, I have to have so many great notes here, but they all seem to um, validate this pleomorphic phenomenon and, and to support it with nutrition as a, as a means of uh, detoxes. It's just compounding what I think we, we've been where this path has been leading us to. So it's, it's just nice to get that, that validation again. Isn't I loved her it, idea of French fries with beef tallow. It's like, you know, you don't have to not eat French fries, but just like cook them in some beef tallow. It's 100%, the best. hundred yeah. percent. And didn't like, there were some fast food joints. Like I didn't McDonald's used to cook their fries in beef tallow back in the day. I'm fairly certain that was the case. Yeah. Let's not go there, but that could, that could be, well, we're not, we're not literally going to go there, but it is, <laughs> that you know some of the earlier forms of this fast food might have sure. actually been sure. cooked in something as healthy as beef tallow and that just that you know obviously that went out the window yeah interesting yeah isn't it isn't it fascinating i i my mind is 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 reeling over the fact that something as foundational as fundamental to biology as the microzyma and pleomorphism is still so fringe and not accepted by like mainstream science. You know what it made me think, Ben? It in in this culture that seems to, in a manner of speaking, want to kill God. It's like they just want you know they just don't. God is God is out of the conversation in like enlightened modern time, quote unquote enlightened <laughs> progressive modernism. It seems right. Yeah. Um, but pleomorphic seems to have a godlike quality. It's like this, it's this intelligence that we'll never understand. It's it's sort of like the directing everything, and yet we can't even really see it or know how it works. And it, it seems part and parcel of that. It's just like not letting God into the room. I think and and I I one hundred percent agree with you. And that's why I wanted to bring up spirituality. I'm glad you did, right? And I had a I had a, a strong suspicion where she was gonna take that. And I think there's a lot more we could have we could have talked about. One of my questions that we didn't ask her was like, "How do you fix this broken like healthcare system, sick care system?" And 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 after her response about spirituality, I think like that's a that's a big piece is reinserting the higher power, the reverence for something bigger than yourself uh, into our lives into all of our lives. And I think that I, I don't, I mean, this sounds hyperbolic, but I really feel that atheism is dangerous. Yeah. I think not, I think it's dangerous to the individual and I think it's destructive to the individual. And I'm going to maintain that. Like that's where my head is at. And it's been at for a little while. I've never articulated it like this, but I, I believe that. I think that's well said and the individual, but the culture too, like how can we live culture, in an right, atheistic culture? Yeah, you extrapolate. You're looking that. at it. We're looking at it. Yes, yes, I believe we are. Yeah, I believe we are. And like Dr. Mari, I think you don't, you don't. It doesn't. You don't need to 
you know, pigeonhole within the dogma of a specific like religion. But I do believe that some reverence and and for something bigger than yourself, some the, life force. Yeah, she 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 pointed to like the indigenous understanding that that there's a complexity of existence that we can never and should never even maybe even strive to understand. Let Correct. it be. Embrace embrace the unknowing. Like yeah. embrace the mystery. Accept that some things will simply be a mystery, and we're not equipped to understand everything. Yeah, I think that there's a real freedom in that. Agreed. So she's a beautiful, like she straddles those two worlds of like em- the humility to embrace the unknown and having some really uh, like tangible uh, results from the people she's worked with via, via nutrition. Right. Yeah. Embrace the unknown and the unknowing, but still like stock your bookshelves with books that were written prior to the 1800s. Yeah. And drink Hungry. raw milk every day. And drink raw milk every day. Yeah. <laughs> she is a huge raw milk advocate. <laughs> I know. I went looking for raw milk yesterday. I couldn't find any. It, it made me think I really got to get back on this and stock my fridge with it. I've never once in my life had raw milk, ever. We're, I got to find it. Well, in the words of William Wallace, that's something we'll have to remedy now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you gone on the hunt for it? Oh, well, you're not. You're not doing dairy, so Ruthie doesn't do dairy, but I I, I do dairy. I, I I'm gonna find it. Okay. I, haven't, I haven't tried that hard to find it. I know it can't be too far. Well, here's one of the reasons why I'm really hot to trot to stock my fridge with it right now, because I really want steamed raw milk with the dandelion. Mm. Because that's mm. a co- that is a coffee for me. That's a coffee replacement. That dandelion blend, the dandy yeah, blend, so good, so good, and it's got chicory in it. Because she mentioned that I wanted to t- ask her, Dr. Murray, if she's off co- just coffee or all caffeine. How long she's been, man? We got to get her back on when she when she does when her book releases. Yeah, yeah. We should yeah. bring her back on to talk about her book, but and we could dive into that. Uh, but that that dandy blend in some like warmed up milk mm. is a is a coffee replacement. The taste oh. of it, anyway. No, I know that's been that's been my surrogate is yeah. the dandy blend, and you know, I've you've heard me talk about. I add a little mushroom powder and some shilajit and What's and some base? coconut oil, but I do put half and half in, which it, and, you know, if you're Jason Kristoff, you're drinking pus. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I can't pour like pasteurized milk into anything now. I'm like, ah, oh, fucking yeah. Christoph, pus you know? drinker. You're just a, you're just another pus drinker, Michael. It's brutal. That's, yeah, it is brutal. I don't even know why you're but on this podcast. <laughs> pus, pus drinking, Doctor Miranda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll embrace um, it a little while longer. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get you some raw milk. Let's get on the hunt for some raw milk. It does. It does make me wonder. Uh, just as there is a findaspring.org, yep, it really should be like one central database for finding raw milk. Probably my local Weston A. Price chapter leader, Dina Falcone, would know where to find <laughs> raw milk. I bet she would. Yeah, yeah, I bet she would. All right, well, we're on the we're on the raw milk hunt, Michael. It is great to see you again, sir. That was a long little uh, passage that we we were w- w- not podcasting. Correct. Yeah, because of the hoot, and then I was away. Yeah. It's nice to be back. We've got a whole bunch of fun guests lined up. And a few to line up. I really want to get Victoria on, um, who yes. came all the way across the country from Washington State to attend the hoot, uh, because she's a terrain theory listener, and that was so meaningful uh, to me, and I think you as well. So yeah. let's get her on to, to talk about her experience. I'll reach out to Victoria and see if she wants to hop on. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Shout out, Victoria. It was great to meet you in person and um, spend a little time at the Hoot. 
very uh, very grateful for your presence. Yeah, the hoot was so great. I and mean, we have it's like it it happens and it's gone. It's like poof, you know, it's such a it's such like a monumental synergy of energy, like all these people coming from all over and more and more of our terrain family coming and being part of it and it's uh, the fact that you I mean, that you did that big Grand Canyon trip, but you still got your ass to the hoot was so meaningful for me because I know summers are busy and you got a lot going on. Uh, but it happened. It really did happen. Also, like, you know, the post hoot malaise for me, it's a, it lasts a long time. It, yeah. it really does. I can't be too proud to admit. I can so, sense it in you, sir. I so can it's, sense it. It's, it's nice to uh, invoke the glory that was the hoot. And it's come and it's gone and, and may it, may it come again. May it come again, and may it may it uh, welcome even more of the terrain family. Yeah, well, and since we're talking about it, before we wrap, I'm starting to wrap my brain around the winter hoot, and it's become the template for a winter hoot, which is much smaller. It's mostly music all day Saturday. Sunday's just a farewell sing along for folks who spent the night, and Friday we've done dinner and a movie, usually a documentary followed by a panel discussion or a Q and A. And I really think I want to show a geoengineering film yep. that um, the folks at our geoengineeringage.org have recommended and have been um, championing and maybe get Dr. Rob back down to to lead that panel or do the Q&A and, of course, some breath work. So that's the wheels that are turning hoot-wise in my head right now. Well, that'll get that'll get me to the winter hoot. Yeah, well, I'll need you there. You you'd be integral for that. <laughs> I've been to I've been to a number of summer hoots now. I'm on a nice little streak that won't be broken. Yep. Uh, but I haven't attended a winter hoot yet, so I think that would be uh, that would be a must for me. That would be uh, if yeah, if I'm gonna stick my neck out like that, I would need your support for sure. <laughs> but you know what, the winter hoot is tons of fun. It's there's always tons of kids there. Grayson would have a blast. I mean, it's it's different, but it's it's a shokin. You know, it's magical. It's magical. He had a blast this year. He met so many new little friends. Yeah. Nate the Great, yep. Mr. Chris yep. was there. Oh, yep. God. You guys put on an incredible festival once again. Yeah, it was a good one. Thank you. Thank and you. and finally, for the first time, I went in the waters. Yes. I can't believe it took me this long. Had you never actually been down there before? I'd never actually been down to that swimming hole. Can you believe that spot? And then once I went in that first that first morning, I, I think I went back like three more times that day. Just, <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding. I was like, yeah, I'm like kind of hot. I'm going to go swimming. Yeah. I, it, it's absolutely magical. The water is cold. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's like almost too cold. It's almost like at that point of coldness where you're just like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to last in here. And you it's just cold breathe. plunge temperature. It's cold plunge, proper cold plunge temperature. And you can breathe through it. And you, you definitely feel it. Um, yeah. And you feel it all day long. Oh, what a way to start the, the morning. That Saturday morning with Dr. Rob and, I don't know, 15 or 20 of us who were all in for the cold plunge, uh, that was a legendary day in my life that I will never forget. Same. Same. All, and a shout out to like Dr. Rob. Yeah. Just shout out to Dr. Rob for finally being able to interact with you in person. You've been on the show twice. Um, to interact with you in person, to do a cold plunge, to see you lead breathwork two mornings in a row from the main mm-hmm. stage. Uh, what a treat. And with what such an grace. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. More of that. More of that. Yes. More of that, please, in our life. More of that and some more raw milk, some more dandy blend, and more energy in replacing the caffeine, the fake caffeine poison energy. 
<laughs> that's it that's it all right folks nothing you heard here should be taken as medical advice because neither mike nor i are medical experts we are podcast experts doctors of podcasting in fact remember that you are light you are love you are in the hands of god and you are your primary healthcare provider thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one 